Good morning, Trinity. We're so glad that you are able to be here with us this morning to worship. We want to make you aware that on Wednesday night, um, there is going to be a prayer meeting held downstairs in the patio room. And the thing that's going to be great about this is that this is a combined Spanish and English prayer meeting. So everyone is invited to join, and that will be at 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday. This prayer meeting happens on the first Wednesday evening of each month. So if you can't make it this week, feel free. March will be here before we even know what happened. So as we um, turn our attention to the reason that we're here for worshiping the Lord, hear these words from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, hear, O church. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Please join your hearts in prayer with me. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. Thank you for what a great God you are, for your power, for your might, for your holiness, for your love, for your compassion, for your mercy on us. Father, as we hear these words from Deuteronomy, and as we think this morning on how it is that you have designed our lives to go and where it is that each of us have gone like sheep that are astray. Father, I pray that you would take our hearts and that you would bind them close to your heart, that we would be, our hearts would be in sync with what your heart beats for this morning, that you would be pleased by the worship that we offer, that these words would soak into our hearts and our minds. Please speak through Pastor Moses later on, and would you please use this time of singing as a way to prepare us to hear from your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and let's join in singing.
amazing thing that the God of the universe truly is with us. Rises to re-
There is nothing that faces any one of us, nothing that we've done that could separate us from your love, for you reign supreme. You are the one who holds the number of days in our hands. You are the one who has sent Jesus to redeem us so that no matter what we've done, we can lay that down, accept Jesus' gift, and be right with you again. Thank you for your commandments which guide us. Thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation. And so I pray that as Pastor Moses comes to share your word with us, that you would help our hearts to be open, that we would have ears to hear and minds that would capture this, and that we would be useful for your kingdom's purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, and children, you may be dismissed. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be here. It is good to be here on the Lord's Day. Amen. It's good to see you. It's good to see, it's good to see you from here to there. Normally we're sitting there and then we can't see everybody's faces, but today we're, we, we could see everybody and everybody could see me. So sometimes that's not a good feeling. A whole bunch of eyes looking at you is just not a good feeling, but we praise the Lord. Amen. We're going to start a new series um, on the Ten Commandments, um, but let's, I'll invite you, I'm, I'm, I was ready to give you my introduction, but just let's go into the Word of God. Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, I invite you to open up the Word of God there, and uh, I was going to read all, uh, the whole Ten Commandments are all the way from verse 1 to 17, uh, but I just want to read to save me some time. I don't want to go over that time, so I'm just going to read to verse three because that's where we uh, that's uh, we're gonna we're gonna deal with the first commandment. Uh, but let's go there. Exodus chapter twenty verses one to three. Got it? The word of God says like this: And God spoke all these words, saying, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me." Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Let's bow in prayer. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this privilege. As unworthy as I am, thank you. Thank you so much. And we ask you that uh, uh, they help me to speak with wisdom, Lord, and hear, help us to hear with wisdom. Let it be all of you and none of me. May the word, may the word be edifying, convicting to your people, Lord, and help us to live according to your word, always. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're starting a, we're starting a new series uh, this, this week uh, on the Ten Commandments. Uh, as I talked to Pastor Dan, as we were talking, we were saying that it, it's, we suggest, and it's a good thing, if you would memorize the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to tell you why it's a good thing. It's always a good thing to memorize the Word of God, right? The, 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 the psalmist said, Your words have I kept in my heart 
so that I may not sin against you. So it's a good thing to memorize the Word of God. Sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult for me, but it's a thing we could work on. Um, but it's a good thing, and I'm going to tell you why. In the Spanish ministry, we've been, we've been, uh, we, we just finished uh, the series on the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew chapter 6. Um, and the Lord's Prayer, uh, I think all of you know the, the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, but most of the other time, people see the Lord's Prayer, and it's just they recite it, they say it, they pray it, which is nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly fine to, to recite it, to pray it, whatever you want to do. But that was not the purpose of it. The purpose was not just so we could recite it or pray it. There was a pattern there. The, 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 the purpose of it was God, the Lord was giving us a pattern in the way our prayer should be. Do you guys understand that? So it, it wasn't wrong to recite it, and it's not wrong to recite it, but it just gives us a pattern of how our prayer, and we went through, we went through the six petitions, three on behalf of, the, uh, of God and three on behalf of us. And every petition has something profound on it, in it, something profound that as I was, as I was telling the, uh, teaching it to, to, the, to the congregation, I was saying, this is something that only can come out of the mind of God of the profound things we could, we, we, we could uh, extract from that. So the Ten Commandments are the same. It is not just, it is just not uh, uh, Ten Commandments and, you know, no, Ten Sayings or however you want to put it. It's a pattern that we get there in the way we should live our lives. Amen? So it is important that, it is important that, we, uh, that we, if we could memorize them, it would be great. Amen? Pastor, Pastor Dan was saying, uh, memorized from, uh, from verse 20, verse 1 all the way to 17. That's a little tough, right? But I'll have you know that Ezra, Ezra, they said that Ezra knew the whole Pentateuch by heart. Now that's impressive. <laughs> that's impressive. But here we are. We're going to start on this, uh, on this new series. Um, and we're going to examine the Decalogue, and we want to understand what the, what the Ten Commandments are, how do they fit into redemptive history uh, as, as a whole, how do they fit into re redemptive history as a whole, where do they fit for us, what do they mean to us, and to all men, to all men. And so we're going to give, we're just going to give an overview, we're just going to give an overview as an introduction of the whole, of the whole Decalogue. Right, uh, as I was reading and preparing, uh, preparing to, for for this message, I, I found, I found that there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of uh, uh, teachers, if you will, who suggest that because uh, Paul and certain verses in the Bible tells us that that we are no longer un, under law but under grace. Uh, they suggest that the, the law of God, at least the the, the Old Testament law, is not binding. Uh, uh, on us anymore, or at least for the Christian life. They said that because uh, we're no longer, we're, that we're no longer bound to keep the law from, from the Old Testament because it was just for Israel and not for us. But we're going to see today, this morning, that is not, that is not the case. Uh, now, it's easy to look at these commandments. It's easy to look at them as just 10, 10, 
10 rules, right? 10, uh, um, ten rules, right? And we could say, uh, here's this circumstance, and here's this rule. Here's another circumstance, and here's another rule, right? This violates this command, that violates, violates that other command. But it's more than that. It is a lot more than that. Because as, as we're going to see, this law, this law reflects the character of God. This law reflects his his. Uh, his nature, it's who he is. It's who he is. So that's why we believe in the perpetuity of the law, because it's his character. Amen? His character. His moral law. And so again, there is a structure to this. There is a pattern that we need to see, that, that we're going to see. And we're going to see how it, all of it fills, fits into a whole and how it's very valuable for us. <clears throat> Uh, and God, as, was, as he was given this in Mount Sinai, this is, what, this is what they were given in Mount Sinai, he was, uh, all of these commandments, they were, that was in the first place that he, that he gave them. You're going to notice that even before the Ten Commandments, all of these things were already in place. Here in Sinai, he was just arranging them. He was arranging them. He was giving, us, he, he was giving them to us in a, in a certain specific form to make it easy for us to understand. See? For us to understand the rest of our ethics. It could be a tool for the rest of our ethics. Amen? So it's significant. Because even, even in the New Covenant, even in the New co Covenant, the Decalogue was referred to as a whole, as a whole, as a whole and binding. And a good example that we could see this is in Matthew chapter 22. You remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Remember he was asked that. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus responded, the greatest commandment is, you shall love your Lord, you shall, you shall love the Lord your God, with all of your love, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That's the positive. That's the positive. The negative is, in, thou shalt have no gods besides me. This is, the, this, is the neg this is the positive. The other is the negative. And that, this, this, has to do with our duty to, this has to do with our duty towards God, right? And this, what, what, what Christ was saying, this is a summary. Hear this. This is a summary of the first table of the law, of the first table of law. Now the Lord says that, and then he said, right away he says, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's the summary of the second table. You see that? There's a summary of the second table. And, and this, the second table has to do with our duty towards our fellow man, towards our fellow man. And so, in essence, what Christ was saying was this. The greatest commandment is 1 through 5, right, is the greatest commandment, followed by 5 to 10. And that was his final answer. What is the greatest commandment? 1 through 5 and 5 through 10. The whole, the whole law, the whole, the whole decalogue, right? Uh, <clears throat> and so... Because what we see in the Ten Commandments is a picture of God's forever binding uh, uh, moral law. It's a picture of God's moral character. That's why it's important. And a picture of what God is forming, forming in his people. That's the importance to us. 
That's the importance. We're going to see that furthermore. And it's also a picture of what his son, what, our, uh, what his son, Jesus Christ, uh, personified, how, what he kept on behalf of us, on behalf of us, on behalf of his people, right? Um, and this moral law, the Ten Commandments, become, become a foundation. They become foundational for us. Amen? It's foundational for us, this law. Okay. So with that in mind, we're going to get into the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm going to go. It's an overview. It's a quick overview of the, all of the commandments. Bear with me. And as we go through the weeks, we're going to see each commandment and the, implica- each commandment and the implications that it, has, that it has for us. Amen? <clears throat> so we're going to see this, uh, the, the Decalogue and the way these this things work together as a whole and their implications for us. Now, the first commandment, the first commandment says... Uh, when it, 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 the first commandment lays the foundation for, 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 for our worship. First, I, I, I need to say that. And when, we talk about our, and when we talk about our duty to God, ultimately, that's what we're saying. It's our worship. It's, our, our, it's about our worship to God. Amen? So the first commandment, it's short and sweet. Verse 3, you shall, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, this makes clear, this makes clear the object of our worship, the object of our worship. And if you look on verses 1 and 2, which we're going to read, it's important, that's the context of the third verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You see that? So the foundation of the moral law is God himself. He is God, and that's why he's given the Decalogue, because he is God. And he says, God spoke these words with his own mouth, saying, I am the Lord your God. And so this is why he gets to give us the Ten Commandments, the, the Decalogue, because he is God. Period. Amen? This is also why they are forever binding on us. <clears throat> and because they're unchangeable too. They're unchangeable. Uh, and, and because he is God and he's unchangeable and his character is unchangeable, that is it. Period. He's given us the law because he is God. And the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. That means that God alone is God. He's our God because this is, he's our God and because of this, this is why we must worship him alone. And obviously, this means monotheism. Everybody knows what monotheism is? Only one God. There's only one God. And that, that, that there's only one God, it would be very important for Israel coming out of Egypt. Coming out of Egypt. Do you remember what happened with the ten plagues? You guys remember what happened with the ten plagues? Pharaoh refused to, to let go uh, the people of Israel, right? He, he, he refused to let them go. And so here comes one plague, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And at the last plague, he says, let them go. Now the question is, did, the, did God needed those ten plagues? God didn't need those ten plagues. God didn't need Moses. God didn't need Pharaoh. God didn't need any of that. He could have just made it happen. He could have just, Pharaoh could have just one morning said, okay, 
Time to go. I'm tired of you guys. Go. But God does not operate that way, right? God, God does not operate that way. Why? There was a purpose. There was a purpose. And I'm going to tell you the purpose. <clears throat> he wanted to show, he wanted to show that the gods of, of the Egyptians, there were actually no gods at all. Right? He wanted to show them that, right? Uh, he wanted to put himself in a, in a direct opposition to everything that the, Egypt, the Egyptians worshipped. Why? Because that was going to be the tendency, the temptation of the, what the Israelites would want to worship. So what he wanted to do, it was just not get Israel out of, out of uh, Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of Israel. And so he brought all these plagues to, sh plagues to show them, those are not true gods. I am the only God. I am the only God. And that's why he does that. Amen? <clears throat> so that's monotheism. We acknowledge that God is our God, the one true God, and we give him our worship only to God alone. Secondly, this means obedience. This means obedience. It's, 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 uh, it's assumed here that it's obedience because after all, after all, what, is it, what does it mean for God to be our God if it doesn't mean that he rules and that he reigns? It wouldn't mean anything, right? No. And we obey. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, Obedience is part of our honor, of the honor we owe to God. And that is very true. And this is important as God is giving these commandments because, watch this, the first commandment that we just, went with, that we just saw is sort of an umbrella over the rest of the commandments, of, over the first table of the law. And that's why I want to uh, show you guys that it's, it's a whole. <clears throat> and God says, because I am God, I am the one who determines what is right, what is wrong, or what is true, and what is holy. Amen? Because he is God. Truth, beauty, and goodness comes to us from God himself, and only God himself. We don't get to determine what is true. We don't get to determine what is right. We don't get to determine what is beautiful because we are not a law unto ourselves. And that's what we see many times, that we, that's what we see out there. They want their autonomy. But God says, no, nobody gets to call those shots. Only me. That's what God says because he is God. And if anyone, if anyone gets to determine truth, beauty, and goodness, if anyone says, gets to say all the other, this is what happens when we want to, when we want to preach in Spanish. <laughs> Authoritatively, what is right and what is wrong, they just have usurped. They just have usurped God's authority. Amen? And they have violated the first commandment because they have put themselves in that place of God, which they don't belong. And actually, that's what postmodernism does. You know that? That's exactly what postmodernism does. Postmodernism. What true is true for me is true now, and that true, and that true is based on my own experience. 
That's what it does, and that's what we have out there. That's what we have there. What they say, what postmodernism says, truth is relative. Truth is relative. And they say, oh, that might be the truth to you, but it's not to me. Well, just to tell you, there's only one truth. There's not a whole bunch of truths. Truth by, truth by definition is exclusive. There's only one truth. Amen? So, but when we say that, when we say that, what postmodernism say, they become the source of their own ethics, of all ethics, when they say that. I determine what's true, what's right. <clears throat> That's what God says. Since I am God, I determine what's true. I determine what's right. I determine what's beautiful. And again, we don't get to call those shots. So the first commandment gives us the object of our worship. And we're going to, I'm telling you, we're going, to, we're going a little bit fast because I want, to get, I want to get to the heart of the message. The second commandment gives us the limitations of our worship. The limitations of our worship. Now, it would be one thing for God to, 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 to come and, and say, uh, <clears throat> you must worship me. And then we come out and say, okay, not a problem. Perfecto. Perfecto. Here's how we decided that we are going to worship you. Right? But God doesn't even leave, leave that up to us. He doesn't leave that up to us. We don't get to determine how we're going to worship him. Let's read the second commandment so we could see. Verses 4 and 6. It says this. <clears throat> 4 through 6. If I can see. You shall not make yourselves a carved image of any likeness of any. Of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Amen. In other words... We worship God the way he says he is to be worshipped. And first of all, first of all this, this obviously prohibits idolatry. Explicitly prohibits idolatry. Uh, you, you can't get to make something out of anything, anything, and offer it worship. That's what he's saying, right? Even on behalf, even on behalf of God, and we do it because that's the tendency, Right? We get an image, people get an image, and they say, well, this is, this is for God. No, God is saying, not even on my behalf. God says, <clears throat> God says that. Next week, we're going to, get, going, to go, we're going to go into this commandment, and we're going to see there is a lot of uh, implication to, uh, uh, for the, this commandment to, uh, for us. But for now, we just want to touch on some things here. in uh, one quick point, uh, and I believe this is important for us. Because it's on the way we worship God. Because what we see out there in many churches, in many evangelical churches, what we see today, it's, 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 they call it worship. But it's not worship. It's not worship. You see, uh, there were two, there were two uh, approaches to worship that came out of the Reformation. Uh, one was the regulative principle of worship which basically said we were to worship God only in the ways he has prescribed them in Scripture and no other ways. No other ways. Only what he has prescribed in the Word. We don't, we don't go outside of that. We don't go beyond that, right? It's a circle. There's this circle. 
This is the way, and that circle is the way God says, God prescribed to worship him in no other way. That is it. And we stay, and we stay in that circle. And I believe we uphold the, the uh, regulative principle of worship, right? I believe we do. Well, <clears throat> they came out, the, other, the second one, the second approach was the, it was called the normative principle of worship. They argued that, yes, we could worship God uh, uh, as the way he has prescribed him in Scripture, but we could also add other stuff that's not expressly forbidding in, in, in Scripture, in the Word. And this basically, this basically, this is basically what we see uh, in most of uh, evangelical churches today. But the problem with that is that we open, and, 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 and I want to say this, I, I want to say this with, 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 with care. Because at times when we say that we let the world, we let the world and we let the culture come into the church, we say, man, yes. That has been, that has been throughout history, from the beginning of church, from the beginning of church, the world, the culture, society, comes into the church. And at times, the church marries. The church marries with the culture. And it's something that we should not. We should be apart, set apart for God. Amen? So the problem with this principle, the, the, the normative principle of worship, is that the world, the world comes in, and there's a lot of things that they do or, or that, that, that they, they could come and do, different ways of worship that is not worship, that is not acceptable. And it just becomes entertainment for the flesh, not worship, not, for, not worship. And so we hold again to the regular principle of worship because of the second command. <clears throat> that takes us to the third command, the reverence of worship, the reverence of worship. Verse 7 says, <clears throat> you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. <clears throat> now. The implications of these are many. It's not just, it's just not, not just his name. Um, a lot of times we just, we just focus on the name, right? And we say, by gosh, by my word, because we don't want to use his name. But it's, just, it's not just his name. But even those things that bear his name or, 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 or communicate his name or represent his name. Like the word, like the word. We don't get, or you don't get to blaspheme God's word because it's the word of God. It's his word, right? Also the image of God in humanity. The image of God in humanity. We could say that that's why murder is wrong because man is made on the image of God. Man is made on the image of God. He's an image bearer of God. And when you kill or murder or destroy a man that's made in, the, in God's image, uh, it is at his, uh, if you, as if you were murdering God in effigy. That's a $3 word for me. Effigy. It means the representation of. I had to look that word up. <laughs> so this is about the holiness of God. This is, about, this is about the righteousness of God. Amen? Fourth commandment. And here we see the regularity of our worship. 
the regularity of, of, our, of our worship. Verses 8 to, 8 to 11. It says like this. Remember the Sabbath? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, you, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. One in seven. One, one in seven. Belong to God. You get that? One in seven belongs to God. <clears throat> God gives us six days. God gives us six days. And this has to do with the balance of our this this has to do with the balance of our work and our worship. Amen? So he gives us six days, six days to do whatever we need to do. We could work as hard as we can, but it's six days. One day is for him. One day is for him. If you look at the, at the end of verse 7, I mean verse, verse, verse 11, God says, he's made it holy. He's made it holy. Holy is separate. Holy is different. Holy is set apart. Holy is unique. Holy is special. That's what holy means. Do you guys get that? One day is special, unique, separate, holy, set apart for him. I don't know. The young ones here don't, don't but probably I remember. I remember when there was a time where uh, a lot of the businesses, a lot of the businesses were, were closed on, on Sundays, on the Lord's Day. And we would walk through, we would walk through different places, and it was just every business was closed. But things have changed, right? Things have changed. Unfortunately, the church goes with those changes. Unfortunately, the church goes with those changes, where the Lord's Day has become just like any other day. It is not special anymore. It is not unique anymore. It is not holy anymore. But listen, cultures change, change, societies change, fads, fashion come and go. They come and go. But you know what the Lord says? Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. His word never changes. His word never changes. His word endures forever. It's unchanging. Again, and when we talk about the, that's why I said in the beginning, this is the moral of God. This is the moral law of God because these commandments, they're imperatives. They're moral obligations to us. Moral obligations to us. <clears throat> what that means is they, that they have to be obeyed. They're imperatives. An imperative is a command. 
that needs to obey. This is not optional. You guys get that? It's not optional. Why? Because he said so. <laughs> he said so. He's God. Isn't that what we say to our kids at times? Our kids say, but, 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 not but. It's because I say so. And what we say, period. So you know what the Lord is telling us? It's because I say so. Period. One day in seven, it's mine. Amen? <clears throat> so what we see in the first table of the Lord, uh, um, the table of the law is this. The object, the object of our worship, the limitations of our worship, the reverence of our worship, and the regularity of our worship. Now, did you notice? Did you notice the, 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 the first commandment, like I told you, is, is, is sort of an umbrella for the rest of them, for the rest of the, of the, of the first table, of the first table. <clears throat> God is God. And God alone, therefore, we worship him the, the way he tells us to worship him. God is God, and we have reverence for his name. And because he is God, we have reverence for his day. You see that? All as a whole. Amen? The second table of the law. In this second table of the law, we see our duty towards our fellow men. To our, towards our fellow men. And so the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment, this is important, the fifth commandment becomes a bridge between the, the first table of the law and the second table of the law. And so we read verse 12. <clears throat> Are you guys with me? Don't leave me. The good part is coming. <laughs> Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. <clears throat> okay, now, the honoring of mother, mother and father is the honoring of God's giving authority on us. And we honor God by honoring the authority that he has placed us under or over us, if you will. Amen? This is how we honor God. In every institution, in every institution that God has given, he's given those who are, who are an authority to represent him. You understand? To represent his authority. His authority. Like in Romans, uh, the, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to go quick. But in Romans, if you want to read it later on, Romans, Romans 13, 1 and 2, tells us that those who represent him in, in, in government, in governmental authority, are ministers of God. And we submit to them because of our submission to God. The submission of wife to, to her husband is a submission as unto the Lord. That's in Ephesians uh, 5. The submission of, of children to parents is of submission as unto the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6. And so the fifth commandment, which covers all of our submission, right, to the authority that God has placed over us, is a two-table command. Two-table command. It is our duty to our fellow man, but in this duty, right, we are actually submitting to God. We're showing submission to God, if you will. And that's why we say it's a, it's, it's a, bridge, it's a bridge between both, uh, both tables. Now look what happens. This is, this is beautiful. Look what happens. The sixth commandment. And we're going to go quick over them. Sixth commandment, verse 13. You shall not murder. Which means <clears throat> don't deprive your neighbor of his life. Simple, right? We understand that. <clears throat> now, when we say murder, 
When we say murder, murder is different than kill. There's, there's, there's differences on that between murder and kill. Some have put this command, they have pointed this command when they say about, when they talk about capital punishment that is not, that is not correct, but it doesn't work. Because we could look back in chapter 6, uh, Genesis chapter 6, that it says, whoever takes a life, his life will be taken. You see? So it's just, it just doesn't work. <clears throat> and, and it's because of the dignity inherent in human beings. They're, they, they have inherent value, right? Because they are image bearers of God. Image bearers of God. So don't deprive your neighbor of, of his life. Then seventh commandment. Don't deprive your neighbor of his family. Don't commit adultery. Eighth. <clears throat> don't deprive your neighbor of his goods. Do not steal. Nine. False witness, do not deprive your neighbor of his reputation. And then last, coveting, don't despise what God has given you. Do you remember what I told you about the first commandment of the umbrella? The umbrella that covers all? The, 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 the first four commandments? This last commandment, the tenth commandment, becomes an umbrella. Becomes an umbrella for the second table of the law. <clears throat> And I want you to see this, how going backwards, going backwards, we could tell this the umbrella. Going backwards, notice. Notice the increasing severity of this. You have do not covet, do not covet. And ultimately, coveting is about, what you're, about you not being satisfied with what God has given you. And, and, and you want your neighbor's stuff, <laughs> Right? You want your neighbor's stuff plus your stuff. That's how we are as human beings. So let's go backwards to see how uh, is the, the, the increasing severity. <clears throat> so it goes like this. Be satisfied. Now I'm going to give you the positives, all right? Be satisfied with what the Lord has, uh, has given you, right? Then ninth, don't deprive your neighbor of his reputation, then don't deprive him of his goods. Then don't deprive him of his family. Then don't deprive him of his life. Do you see the increasing in severity? Did you guys notice that or not? I hope you did. Going backwards from 10. <clears throat> Do you know why God gave it to us? Gave it to us, starting with murder. We're looking at them backwards, but God gave them to us from, 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 the, from, the, from the worst to the least, right? So we think. But he went from the most severe, he went from the most severe to the root cause. Did you get that? From the most severe to the root cause. <clears throat> and the root cause is you're not being satisfied with what you have. And instead, you want what your neighbor has. And ultimately, you're not being satisfied with what you have <clears throat> is you're not being satisfied with God. Right? Not being satisfied with God. Now, that takes you all the way to the first table. Because you're not being satisfied with what you have that has placed you now in the place of God and you just have made yourself on a dollar because you're worshiping yourself now. It's all about you. And you have put your play, you put, put yourself, put, have put yourself in the place of God. So do you see how this fits as a whole? So you see how it fits as a whole? 
Here comes the meat of the message. So the question comes, does keeping these things look differently today than it, back, than it did back then? Absolutely. Absolutely. It definitely does. That's why we worship. That's why we're here today. That's why we worship on, on the first day of the week and not on the last day of the week. Not only that, not only that, but our Lord in the Sermon on the, sermon, uh, 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 on the Mount, he brings it up a notch. Watch this. He brings it up a notch. He says in Matthew 5, you have heard of all, say this, you shall not murder, right? But I say unto you, if you get angry with your brother, and if you call him a fool, you are done. You're liable for hell. You're liable to hell. And then he goes, you have heard of all said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman with lust, he has committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see how our Lord brings up the stakes? He has just upped the stakes, right? <clears throat> and with that, he has transformed the way we look at the Decalogue. So we see it as a whole, and we see it as two sides of the same coin. And we also view this, view this Decalogue <clears throat> as God giving us a picture, a picture of what it looks like when his ethic is being formed in our lives, in us. <clears throat> and when his ethic is being formed in us, we will worship him rightly in accordance with his word. When his ethic is formed in us, our vertical commandment will spill over our horizontal commandment in the way we treat our fellow man. And so these commandments, as you could see, they're of great benefit. They're of great value for us. Because as we are conformed to the image of Christ, we now have a picture of what that looks like, what that righteousness looks like as it is being formed in us. Amen? Now you see the righteousness of Christ being formed in me will absolute, absolutely look like this. The right object of my worship, the right limitations of my worship, the right reverence of my worship, the right regularity of my worship. Christ being formed in me will actually look like that. But not only that, it would also absolutely <clears throat> look like obedience and submission to the authority God has placed in me, in my life. It will absolutely look like not me not depriving my neighbor of his, of his life, of his family, of his possessions, of his, of his uh, reputation. It will absolutely look like me being satisfied with what God has given me. Because I know he's sovereign and he's in control. So again, these are just not uh, ten random rules, but a picture of God's holiness and righteousness. And what that holiness and righteousness looks like when it's formed into his people. But here comes another question. We're getting into the meat. Here comes another question. How does this happen? How does this happen? It happens as we are conformed to the image of Christ. That's how it happens. But being conformed to the image of Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ does not come by, by uh, uh, 
really striving to keep these things, to keep this law. Because if you go into the Sermon on the Mountain, if you go in there and see, and, and see Christ's teachings, we are reminded again and again and again that we cannot keep these things. It is impossible for us to keep these things. We don't keep these things. In my heart, and I'm sure, I'm sure in yours too, in my heart, I'm constantly violating the first table of the law. I want myself to be put in that position of authority. I want, I want my autonomy. I want myself to be the source of all ethics. In my heart, I'm constantly violating the second table of the law as anger, lust, greed, covetousness, dissatisfaction of what God has given me. It builds up in me. As I screamed just like Paul did. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? I don't know if you cry there, but I do all the time. Because this, this flesh bothers me constantly. As this thing swell up inside of me. And is that, isn't that what Romans says? Just, just as the nature is awaiting for the return of Christ so he could become and make it new again. We want our new body because this thing is so terrible to us, this flesh. But Christ has the answer. God has the answer. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God has the answer on the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who kept these things all perfectly to the T, without falter, without fault, without stumbling. He kept them perfectly in every way. And he was actually righteous. He was actually righteous that he may impute that righteousness to us. Do you get that? He did it all of this. He did this perfectly so that that righteousness that he, in his active obedience, may be imputed to us, to us. So that by the imputed righteousness of Christ, when I come to him in faith and repentance, right, he, God sees me as having kept all of these things perfectly. Now hear this. In Christ, I am righteous as if I have never faltered. At any point in this law. Because I'm clothed with Christ's righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? And that happens when I come to, faith, to him in repentance and faith. And then with that passive obedience, he gives, he gives his life in Calvary as a substitutionary atonement on my behalf. So that God now who looks at me as righteous can still be righteous himself because he has not committed the sin of not dealing with my sin. Now remember, if God calls me righteous when I'm not, if God calls me righteous when I'm not, that is not a good thing because he hasn't dealt with my sin. He hasn't dealt with my sin. <clears throat> he has not punished my sin and my unrighteousness, and that is not a good thing. 
So through Christ's passive obedience, my sinfulness is imputed to him so that, on, so, so that on the cross, God righteously, he pours his wrath uh, on Christ on my behalf, on my sin, right? 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, For God made him sin who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a beautiful verse. That's a beautiful verse. Hmm. So my sin is viewed in Christ just as real as his righteousness is viewed in me. And by that double imputation, God can be the just, right? Because he has punished my sin. And the justifier because of the righteousness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the message of the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. This is the only hope for humanity. There is no other hope for humanity. Christ is the only hope. And so when I look at the Decalogue and see the beauty of the law, I just don't turn around and say, this is beautiful and I will work hard to get there. I will work hard to keep it. Can we say that? No. We say this is beautiful and woe is me. Woe is me, because it shows very clear that I don't possess that righteousness that God demands and God commands. What I could say is like Isaiah, I am undone. I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. Because I cannot do this for myself. I cannot keep this. Oh, my brothers and sisters, but God, God has something better than a burning coal. He has the unquenchable, burning righteousness of Jesus Christ, who gave his life for sinfulness, for the sinfulness of those who come to him in repentance of faith. And it is offered to all of those who want it. Amen. Amen. So, what we are called here is, or, or heed, what we are called to heed here is to see the beauty and the glory of God's holiness and righteousness. And then to see the emptiness of our vain efforts to get there by ourselves. And then to see the mercy of God and to come to Him in repentance of faith and run to the cross, throwing ourselves at the mercy of God, believing by faith that we have righteousness, that we have the righteousness of Christ, and that our sinfulness is imputed to him. So then I stand perfectly, perfect and righteous before a holy God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, did you get to see the beauty of the law? Did you get to see how everything comes together? And again... Christ is our only hope. Man is looking desperately. Did you notice that? Do you notice that? Man is looking desperately to solve his problems. Looks everywhere to solve his problems. And they do this and they do that economically, uh, morally. In every way, they try to give more liberty. They try, 
They're going backwards. They're going backwards because this is our only hope. The gospel is the only hope. The gospel is the only one that changes lives. There is nothing else apart from that. And we need to proclaim that. We need to tell that to the world that Christ is our only hope. Bow your heads. Oh, precious Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you are, for who you are, and what you've done for us. As we see ourselves unworthy. And personally, my Lord, I just want to go under a rock. Because I see myself as who I am. And what you've done for me. And all I could say is thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your, for your son, Jesus Christ. For the work that he did in Calvary. And for the work that he's doing in our lives, Lord. For the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit sanctifies our lives. Thank you so much. For it is you and not us, Lord. We thank you for that. Bring conviction to the hearts. Bring conviction to the hearts. And that we may live, that we may live in light of all of these truths that you have shown us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. and you don't yet have a personal relationship with God, if you're here this morning and you have a friend that you see is struggling, what Pastor Moses shared makes all the difference in the world and makes all the difference in eternity. It's as simple as just admitting to God that you're unable to keep those commandments, telling him that you put your trust in his son Jesus' sacrifice for you, and then you commit your life to turn and to go a different way. It's that easy. Simple enough that a child can get it, and yet we just stack so much stuff on top of it and think why we couldn't get there. So I just want to give an opportunity this morning for you. I think Pastor Moses was just amazing for the law and how it diagnoses us. For you to be able to pray. Please join me. Father, we confess today that we are so unable to keep your commandments. We see the way that they diagnose us, but yet they don't provide a cure. But that cure is in Jesus. So Father, today, if anyone hasn't put that in, I just ask that you would help them to pray in their heart, 
Dear God, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I'm sorry that I've been dissatisfied with what you have provided for me. Thank you for your law that shows me where I fall short. Father, I place my trust in Jesus because he's the only one who is righteous and then makes it that I can exchange all the things that I've done wrong that have offended you, that separate me from you. Lord, I accept that gift of Jesus on my behalf. Thank you that you give me new life. Father, give me the strength to share with someone the decision that I've made in my heart today and help to set my feet on the path that you would have me to go. Thank you that you have plans for me and that you love me and that you have brought us to this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. It's one true God, my friends. Please stand and join with us in singing.
<clears throat> Romans 11:33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given, has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs> Praise the Lord, my brother. Good. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. It's encouraging. I, I, it's my personality. I get super nervous. I am like, you know, before as I, as I, you know. Call for songs of Teach me some melodious song sung by thinking tongues above. Praise his name, I'm fixed upon it. Name of God's redeeming